right, back into Psalm 119. I always have high aspirations that I'm going to get it done this time and get caught up, and I'm, I'm going to strive to do that uh, so we can finish it. I'm going to mention this at the end, but I'm going to probably forget, so I'm mentioning it now because I want you to note this, and I'm going to the end of my notes to say it, but uh, at the last week, May 31st, I believe it is, um, we talked about how we're going to come together, and my goal is not to be teaching through a section that it's already been taught through, but I want you to write this down. We talked about how you guys will be sharing uh, some takeaways, and I just want to zero it in for us all So we, as we look at a group. And if you're not comfortable sharing, that's fine. Please write it down, and if you're fine, hand it to me, and I'll weave it into the night. Um, but here's what I wrote down. Write down three key real-life applications or takeaways for you. What I mean by that is you're not preaching, you're testifying, if that's the difference. So I don't, we're not saying, hey, I think this would be good for the world. or this would be good. We're talking about what you've taken from Psalm 119, real life application, and I put takeaway, something that's hit you uh, personally on Psalm 119, bring them in and then be ready to share them. The reason I say three is because someone might have the same takeaway as you, and here's what you can do. When it comes to you, you can say your second one or your third one. You can say, someone said one of the ones I had, and I'm going to go on to this one. And my thought behind that is, is we've been in Psalm 119 for about eight weeks at that time, and we're going to walk through together, rejourning it through, but with each person's application, so how they've interacted with Scripture and what they've come away with. And so I just want us to, to kind of be ready for that May 31st. Now, we closed last week talking about uh, treasures. This thing, my iPad is gotten a little funny here. Oh, maybe not. There you go. Um, we talked about uh, treasures and how kids know how to hide treasures, how to hold on to them, how to enjoy them, how to value them. So that was my intro into the idea of treasuring consistently. And that's the next section in Psalm 119. And it's when I say, again, don't lose sight of the beauty of Psalm 119. It is one of the best illustrations of Hebrew poetry. Uh, there is a lot of skill that we don't see because we don't, we don't read Hebrew. So we see the beauty of it in English, but we don't recognize that every section is a different letter of the alphabet, and every couplet of verses starts with that letter of the alphabet. It is amazingly written uh, to see the beauty in God's Word. Uh, if you're into poetry, this is one of the best poems you can see laid out uh, from Hebrew uh, language and literature. And so what we're going to get to in verses 65 through 72 is this idea of treasuring it consistently. And I want to bring you back, though, mentally to how a kid treasures their things, how they hold on to it, how they value it, how they... Uh, I, this, this always brings me joy. And as I mentioned, I can handle more than one junk drawer. I can't handle clutter. Uh, I can handle it for a period of time. So I have a, a tolerance for clutter that lasts for about a week. My desk can be messy for about a week, and then I'm losing my mind. Um, I was running around a bit today at the end of the day, uh, dropping off my mower, which I picked up. Oh, I dropped it off three weeks ago, picked it up, landed mode for three hours. It broke again, picked it up, brought it back to the shop. They fixed it again, ran back. And when I came to my desk, it was messy. And before I could do anything, I had to clean my desk. So clutter gets to me. So I say I can handle kids with a lot of junk drawers because they get shut. But what I love to see is when they open the drawer and they'll pull things out and they'll recount when they made it, who gave it to them. I wish your kids would stop giving my kids their junk, but that's all right. Just <laughs> This was given to me by Caleb. And I'm like, yeah, it looks like he drooled on a paper too. Why don't you give it back to him and he can treasure it for a while. But it, what's interesting is they're, having, they're, they're engaging with it. And that's what we're looking at in 65 through 72. So I'm going to read that. It says, Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. And don't miss that one. The world lies about us. The world twists. The Lord will turn. 
And the psalmist is saying, I will not move from the minutia of God's word. I will not shift no matter what they say. It goes on from there. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. And don't miss the thousands, not thousand. Thousands. What is he trying to say? There's no amount of gold and silver in this world that he would trade for God's word. And then just let that thought sink in for a second. If that defines you, how quickly would our, our church in America sell God's word out for money? Well, how quickly they break God's precepts to make money. How quickly will we bend God's rule for money? And so we're, we're, we, well, I would never sell the Bible and never have it again for gold and silver. Well, you do sell it out over and over again. But he's saying there's no amount of money, there's no amount of gain, there's no amount of career advancement, there's no amount of anything that I would trade for God's Word. One commentator wrote of this section, we're pupils in a school, he is the principal of the school, and the graduation award is the treasure of his word. What do you walk away with when you walk with a college degree? I have a degree now. I can go get a job, theoretically. That's not working out for most people getting out of college, um, right? I, I, can, I have something. I'm an engineer. I have a, certi- a certificate. I have a stamp. I'm allowed to go in and, <clears throat> and sign up and go. What's the reward of God's school? It's his word. Another notes this, if we go through this school immersing ourselves in God's word, we develop real sensitivity of heart and our eyes are open to see unthought of treasures in the Bible itself. Scripture has a depth that will never plumb. We will always learn more from God's Word. What is one of the words that's used to describe it? The what? Living Word of God. What does that tell you? It's not what? It's not dead, right? So there's always something to be learned, a life seen in light of God's Word, and he talks about times of difficulty, pain, pressure, uncertainty, weaves his Word forever into our treasure chest. It leads to our believing his commandments, verse 66. It results in his Word being kept, and that Word is guarded, valued, or treasured. I've kept it. I'm going back to my kids again, and I'm sure everyone's kids at some point have the thing they treasure. And what do they do with it? They keep it. They value it. They bring it out. They are proud of it. This is something that they embrace. God's word is the psalmist, and it should be our delight. Verse 70, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. So I put a thought, yet the end result of treasuring God's word after suffering is not always a given in the Christian's life. And this is where I'm going to get to, and it's going to be, it is a discussion question here. We're going to look at what dangers or temptations are there during suffering that lead to a lack of treasuring His Word after the suffering. So I want you, it's a longer question, but oftentimes people walk through a journey, and I want you to remember what he's walking through. I was afflicted. The proud have forged a lie against me. Their heart is fat as grease. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Those are not casual words he's saying there. That's suffering, that's hardship, that's pain, that's mental struggle, that's anxiety. He is summarizing here, I am walking through difficulty, and yet the end result is I treasure God's Word. But we have to pause and say, is that the net result of suffering in the average churchgoer's heart and mind? When they walk through suffering, is the other side of suffering an embrace of God's Word to that extent? I've seen many who only end up questioning God, both during and even more importantly, after suffering. There's a distrust of Scripture, skeptical even though they continue in weekly worship. I've seen people that, well, they're going to come to church because that's what they do, and they're going to say the words, but their heart questions what God says which leads to our discussion question on treasuring his word consistently, especially through hardship. 
When you go to an amazing conference and you have great speakers and they preach and it's exciting and they're great illustrations and you're surrounded by people that are all on a spiritual high, you think to yourself, I treasure God's word. I love this. And those are not bad things. Those are, those are times when you can grow. I'm not talking about then. If you can't love God's word at the pinnacle of the mountain, then you're really dead inside, right? But what about when you walk through hardship? And so here is the question again, and I want you to take um, two to three minutes to, to kind of walk through that. Uh, Kellers, if you don't mind, I'm going to throw you over to the, the, the other side of the room so you can dive in. Otherwise, all the wisdom's at one table, and that's just not healthy. You know, I can't have that. Can't be a softball pro, an expert, and, you know, all the, all the wisdom that ties in. But I know this is a bit of a more awkward question, because I know if I said, how do you treasure God's Word? Table number one will say, read it, or something generic like they always do. And without even Bob there, they would do that without even having him there. I know he's trained them well. And so I'm diving in from a different perspective. How do we treasure God's Word after life doesn't work the way we want? How do you treasure God's Word after you've been fired from your job, after you lose a loved one, after you lose a loved one and then walk through the journey with those that are left or the one that's left and think, oh man, you know, this is hard for them, this is hard for us. How do you walk through uh, when you get bombarded with uh, a cancer, when you get bombarded with uh, an illness that you weren't expecting, you weren't thinking, and it doesn't end the way you want? What happens when your kids get sick? You're trusting, it's right, but what happens after that? What if we struggle? That's why I said we can treasure. Sometimes we look for that, the side of it, the positive side. And here I'm saying, what are some temptations during suffering that we need to avoid as we journey through suffering? And really, my goal is, how can we help others maintain a treasuring of God's Word in the struggle of life, in the, in the pain of life? I can share this. I'm pretty sure everyone could attest to it. When someone's suffering, it's not going to help them for you to say, now you treasure God's word. It's not going to do it. So what are they going to wrestle with and what can we do to help them journey through suffering? Because now we're getting into being the family of God, right? Now we're getting into being the church. And, and it says in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a man or some is but we're to exhort one another. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to lift each other up. That's why coming to church is an important thing, not just because we want to fill the room and I want someone to talk to. It's because you need to to fellowship with other believers. We worship, and then we interact with each other, and we have iron sharpens iron, and we care for each other. So I know it's, again, a bit more involved or awkward question, but how do you help someone avoid the pitfalls of losing the treasuring of God's Word as they walk through hardship. And I've put down a couple thoughts. What are some of the temptations or dangers when you're walking through suffering? Seeing the circumstance from only your perspective. Missing and distrusting the good sovereign hand of God. I'm going to share an illustration briefly that Heather shared with me. She's reading a book by a lady that married a Dutch farmer in Canada. So she made one good choice. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. uh, she has a lot of kids. So she wrote a book and she's just a gifted writer. And she was sharing about her brother-in-law. Her brother-in-law and his wife had a baby and the baby passed away of a genetic disease. They got pregnant again. So they were actually pregnant when they lost the one child to the genetic disorder. They had the second baby And it also passed away from the genetic order. And she says, I went to my brother-in-law and I said, if I was God, I would do this differently. And he says, I serve a sovereign God and I don't understand it, but I am positive that what he did is best and good. I don't understand, but I trust in a sovereign God. And that story, and it it makes me sick inside. I don't know about you. When I hear that, it's like, I tell Heather, stop telling me stories like this because it really, it affects you, right? But she wrote this in her book, and the book was a thousand things you're grateful for, like trying to see how God, what God has done. And she said this just struck her when she talked to her brother-in-law because they're seeing God's hand. They don't understand at all, but they saw his goodness. And he quoted um, 
interesting. I haven't even researched this. He quoted Hezekiah. He said, Hezekiah prayed for 15 more years, and he got them from God. And in those 15 years, Manasseh was born. And Manasseh wasn't good. And he says, I kind of wonder, you know, maybe you shouldn't have been praying for the extra 15 years. And I have to research the dates. I didn't even go into that. But when you see the perspective from that way, and so I put there, uh, one of the dangers is we don't see things from God's viewpoint, or we forget that God is sovereign. That's to tickle the mind, or maybe I've taken away your answer, table number one, and you can go with something generic. But why don't we take about two to three minutes, and then we'll just go around the room and just share. And if, there's, if you don't have something, because I know the question's a little bit more confusing, and I apologize for writing it that way, but how do you help someone treasure God's Word through and after suffering? All right, I'm going to start around the, ta- around the room here and just give me a, a one phrase, one sentence answer to this, and we're going to kind of dive in to the next section. And I'll, I'll tip my hand a little bit. It, it also answers the question on how to treasure uh, consistently. But table number three, what do you have for us? Condensed down into a sentence. That's interesting, right? Because oftentimes affliction will drive us to His Word, and then when it's gone, the pressure is gone, we shift away, which again, the next section is going to about connect consistently, and so that'll tie into that. Uh, Table number two, what did you come away with? And the, and the way to stay connected is, and I think we're seeing that there's a, a driving in suffering. It drives us to the Lord in prayer and in His Word. But you see the close there with David is, again, a trust. You're going to go back to, I trust His Word. I trust His promises. I trust what God is going to do. I trust the fairness of God, the justice of God, and we're able to move on uh, from there. Table number one. We get a temporal perspective, right? And, 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 and it's very easy to do, right? Something goes wrong at the house, and what happens? It is the most catastrophic thing in the world, right? There's no solution. You have to take care of it now. Uh, and we, we're, we're bombarded with frustration because we're short-sighted. And that's a very light suffering, but sometimes we're going through something. We think well, there's nothing else, and short-sightedness is a danger uh, that's there. Table number four. That's a great principle. It's one thing that I do in premarital counseling, and so it's going to tie in a little bit here. When we talk with a a couple, I always tell them, don't let your spouse become your Messiah. And there in suffering, don't let your solution become your Savior. There's only one Savior, and you're you're tied to Him, and that's great. God calls on us to pray from our heart, but what do we ultimately accept? And oftentimes the temptation is to accept what I wanted, what I've positioned how I want to see this unfold and not say, I, 
I want him and his relationship and that connection. That's wonderful. That's perfect. And that's something to keep in mind. Uh, it, it's, it needs to be done in love and care when you talk to somebody else. As you walk through suffering, you're reminding yourself as you journey with somebody through suffering. And I use that word uh, because if we dive into a suffering person's life and tell them what to do, that's not journeying with them. That's bossing people. Well, I know what you should do, and you should do this. That's not going to help. Um, but, and that's Job's friends. When they finally started talking, do this, do this, they, they lost the journey, right? They, they, they forgot to walk. And we're to walk the suffering journey with them, but we're to, to keep their focus on what is the promise of Scripture uh, while we pray for healing, while we pray for change, while we pray for this, but recognizing in the end, as Mrs. Keller saying, that we, we are promised him, and that is enough. That is not just enough, right? It's, it's what, nothing could be better uh, than him. Table number five, what do you have there? It's hard because we, we oftentimes with suffering, we want to dip in, right? Oh, I'll see you on Sunday. I'll catch you. Uh, we, we oftentimes neglect the uh, catch up later on, the call later on, the take someone out for dinner and lunch. The, um, what's hard when you journey with someone through suffering is it's a journey. And we want it to be a sprint. Hey, I walk with you. You should be fine. What's, what's wrong with you? We, I told you what the truth is, and so now just go do it. Um, I think the persistence of God's word, as you journey with someone through suffering, speaking God's words, speaking his promises, sharing the truth that's there, praying with them through their need in a heartfelt way, but constantly zeroing their attention back to him is a critical part. Uh, Satan will always try to create a block to dealing with suffering saints because he loves to isolate believers into a desperation. So for us, it's overcoming that block, but overcoming it the right way and, and recognizing, I use that word all the time, the journey it is not a quick fix. There's not a, a minute that we dive in. One of the ways we're going to see how do we treasure it consistently, it ties to the next one, which is that you connect consistently to it. And that's th- 73 through 80. You treasure it because you're constantly engaging with it. Uh, I remember hearing someone, I don't know why we were watching this, but we were watching a show on hoarders, and they were <laughs> seeing people with crazy houses, you feel good about your own, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a way not to get rid of your own junk, but I, I remember this guy saying something. He says, if it's valuable, put it out where you can see it. Put it out where you engage with it. Put it out where you'll bump into it in a, in a way that's there. Uh, I don't have a lot of, let's say, things that are left over. I have my grandfather's pocket knife, and so when I was a boy, 12, 11, 12, he did wood inlays, and so he, he drew me some pictures. So I kept one of those pictures, and I have his pocket knife. You don't use it for wood inlay, but I have the pictures. I didn't end up doing wood inlay. I did wood carving uh, in the end. That's what I wanted to do, but I keep that knife in my carving box. So when I go to carve, I remember that my grandfather did wood inlay. He has beautiful pieces. My mom has one in, her ha- in the house. Amazing what he did, and even though I don't do that, I remember the knife. The knife reminds me that we had a time together where we did that. It, it's in a place that I'm going to encounter it in prominence. It's going to pop back up. Um, and the idea that the, the, the person trying to help the hoarders was if it's valuable, it should be out. If you value this, then show it. My kids, the treasure, it's only a treasure if they bring it back out, right? That they look at it, they engage with it. Uh, they connect consistently. And that's what the next part looks at. 73 through 80, it says this, thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. Isn't that a statement of fact? God is creator. You've created me. Your hands made me. And don't miss the word fashioned. 
He didn't do it from a blob. He fashioned, he created, he made. It's not that he threw chunks of, of, of protons and neutrons and it all collected together. These are key words in Hebrew. These are not casual words, fashion. But what is his response to that? So you say, well, God made me. I look at creation. What is creation supposed to drive you to? This is people that say, well, I've skipped church. I just go out and, and, and sing a song out by the tree, and I pray, and I read my Bible. That's what I do instead of worship. And I say, no, that's not the way to do it. What does he ask for? Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. Creation, and the fact that he is made by God, drives him to want to know what God said. And, and we'll, we'll look at it at one time, Ultimate Questions. is a phenomenal little booklet by John Blanchard. It's what I use for apologetics and evangelism. It starts with, is there a God? Is there someone out there? Yes. And then it goes right to what God said, the Bible. So we have God. And they say, well, God has things he said to do. He has commandments. And he's clear. He doesn't stutter about it. And so we tie to that. You go on. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me. Because I have hoped in thy word. Fellowship there. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Let I pray thee, thy merciful kindness be for my comfort, according to thy word unto thy servant. Let thy tender mercies come unto me, that I may live, for the law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they dealt perversely with me without a cause. In other words, he's going back to these afflictors. He sees affliction, and I can see the mental anguish, the struggle, and then around him, society is pressed in and lied and attacked. But I will meditate in thy precepts. You ever have someone falsely accuse you? What do you think about? Boy, when you're praying, what do you think about? God, give me the zinger. Make them trip when they walk out of their house. Send ice. I don't care if it's summer. Make them fall down. Make something. We get fixated on our situation. And the psalmist says, I will think on your, and what are precepts? I'm going to keep bringing it up. It's my favorite word that's thrown in here. Minutia. I am going to meditate on the Littlest details of your word, God speaks to the smallest details. Let those that fear thee turn unto me, and those that have known thy testimonies. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I be not ashamed. And here's the interesting thing. As he carries forward from treasuring it, he goes right to connecting to it, seeing God's hand in all of life, seeing God's purpose, and truly appreciating the word of God connected through all of life. As more to your notes, he says, every capacity is perfectly integrated around the word. Everything I do, every circumstance I'm in, I have come back to the word on this. And I find that a very convicting thought as we dive into this, because he is driving us that there is nothing that we separate out from this. It was his prayer, his aim, his commitment at a time of affliction and undeserved hurt. So I want you to get the situation He's not on a mountaintop here. He is suffering. He's afflicted. He talks about God has afflicted him. God has, in his sovereignty, allowed this affliction to come. He sees that. And you're seeing that people are attacking him. So you see the social pressure coming in. He is not at the best point in life. And we're actually going to see things get more pressure as we go along. The writer is under pressure, the kind of pressure that easily diverts our attention away from God's word. And it can disconnect us from it and other people and what happens is we zero in on what Table 5 says, self. We become very self-focused. That possibility is in mind, yet he passionately petitions the Lord to remain connected. What does he say? Give me understanding. He seeks the Lord to understand his word, and that his connection will influence others in the Lord. I love this. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. Why are God's people that are serious about God's word going to be happy to see this guy who's being afflicted by society? Because he has his hope fixed in God's word and they have their hope. Those that fear him, those that revere God. How do you revere God? Don't, don't miss this connection, right? We revere him by obeying, by following what he says. And so we're tying the two there uh, together. He prays, let those that fear thee turn to me and those that have known thy testimonies. Why? Because his desire and actions has been for his heart to be sound in God's statutes. 
No matter the circumstance, the psalmist has committed to connect consistently with God's Word. And I put a question here, could that be said of us? Could we honestly pray that those who know God's Word should connect with us because we connect with His Word so fervently? I want you to think about that request. You fear God, then you're going to want to be around me because I am, I am connected to his word. It is worth it for us to get together because our focus is the same. And then pause for a second and say, could that be said of me? Could you honestly say, well, if you love God's word, then connecting with me makes sense. Then we together can study his word and we can grow and we can move forward I put this as a thought question, and I did that on purpose. We're not going to discuss it because I just want you to think about it. How do we ensure that our first and consistent move in all of life's circumstances is to connect with His Word? We've talked through this. I just want to make sure I frame this thought correctly. Think about when something happens, do you go to His Word by habit? That, it, that it, it comes to bear. It comes to mind. I share this, and, and this comes from someone, uh, all my life I can memorize anything I wanted to. So um, I don't have a photographic memory, but when I was in college, I, still, I can still close my eyes. I can still see two-thirds way down. There's six things in insect pest management. I couldn't remember to answer. I closed my eyes. I see my handwriting and pencil. I brought it back. So I studied, but I also had the opportunity to to memorize easily. So I was in the Navigators, which memorized a lot of Scripture. This is easy for me. It's no longer easy. It just doesn't stick the same. I say this because I've heard people say, well, I don't think I need to memorize Scripture because I can pull it up my phone anytime I want to. Yeah, but it doesn't automatically come in your mind. So this is actually my pitch. Um, One of the things that I would say is you better be memorizing God's Word. Because when you're buffeted, you don't always pull your phone up and say, well, let me search this right now. Uh, I just had an experience today I shared with you. So drop off my mower and I'm going and Landon's mowing. That's a, that's a blessing, right? Having sons or daughters. I don't care who does it as long as it's not me. Um, and I just say, man, that's not a straight road, buddy. You're going to have to get that straighter. And then uh, I'm getting ready to teach Trent how to weed eat. That's the next thing. And if they can spray the Roundup, I'm, I'm golden. And I told Heather, I actually enjoy sitting on the porch and watching them do this. It's like God's, wow, this is amazing. Now my dad had seven boys. Of course, we were useless. But, you know, I know why I did it now. It's like, man, sit on the porch, watch them work once in a million years, you know. I say that, and I can't remember why, um, but we, we're, we're mowing, right? And the mower breaks again. So I'm, I'm mowing. I'm not mowing, actually. Landon's mowing. I had to call my office. Says, uh, Landon just said the hydraulic fluid's leaking all over. It's making the same noise. I've waited three weeks. I've borrowed Kyle's trailer. I have done it. I've dropped said trailer out there. Kyle's going to pick it up. I'm done. For the last three weeks, I've been running to get a trailer, going picking up a mower and going mow. And so what's the first reaction you feel, right? This sense of frustration. And then I remember that uh, Mr. Hines bailed me out here. My, my well-pressured switch wasn't working. And so he helped me fix that. So that was Saturday. And I remember on Saturday, it was so frustrating when the well pump broke. And then was after about 20 minutes, I was like, you know, I, I shouldn't be getting this frustrated about this, you know? And I, and I prayed to the Lord. I said, help me deal with these situations. And now I'm like, I need to stop praying that because he just threw me a broken mower again. But what popped in my mind, I'm pulling out with my broken mower. I've, I've called him and, I, and my mind said, you know, make sure they know you're a believer. And so you don't say something dumb, you know, or, or act with the wrong attitude. And then it hit my head like, huh, you don't want to be frustrated. Here you go. Test number two. Uh, happening there. And what's interesting is I had a great conversation with Tristan and Morgan that work at the shop there. We dialogued. I am purposely to, to buffer myself like, hey, I passed our church in Culpeper. I'm like, whew, I said it now. I cannot, me- you know, I can't mess up now. But I say that because I was shocked because before I could pull out my driveway, I remembered feeling convicted about being frustrated that the weekend before and then saying, this is one of those situations where I get to put into practice what I said I wanted to do. I get to practice God's Word. I don't elevate this circumstance, this minutia of nothingness, and make it the most important thing in my day. Did it mess up some of my day? It did. I had planned on writing a lot for Mother's Day message, and I had two hours slotted for it, and I don't have those two hours. 
Here's the reality, though. If it's not in your brain, it's not a habit to come up, if it's not popping back up, you're not going to think of God's Word. You're not going to feel the conviction. I'm grateful for His tempering my speech. I'm grateful that they didn't pick up the first time I called, and then the second time I called, I was able to be clear and calm, and then when I talked to the guys, you get to be grateful. You have a guy apologize. I say thanks for fixing it while I waited. All these things worked out, and I have a chance to talk to Tristan and Morgan the next time my tractor breaks, because I know it will. I get that. Um, but I'm going to be back, and i be able to talk to him. I haven't ruined something, because it came to mind, because it's something that you prayed and thought about. And so I would challenge you, as you think about connecting consistently to God's Word, be memorizing it, be praying it. Learn what it's saying. That's why I want you to have real-life application from this. What is God's Word telling you needs to change or needs to be thought about in your life? What what is coming up that processes it? I didn't share it when we're walking through Titus as, as, as detailed as I was telling Heather, but I started reading Titus back in the beginning of the year. I actually read it over Christmas because my goal is to read something 50 times before I preach it. So Titus is super easy to read 50 times. It's done, right? I could five times on the plane in India from one city to the next and bouncing over there. But there was for six weeks, there was one word that kept playing in my brain. Don't be quick-tempered. Don't be quick emotion. I read all three chapters. It takes about 10, 12 minutes for me to do that. And I walk away and I'm like, all I can remember is quick-tempered. And I'm like, well, God, I'm going to try to read this 50 times. Can you help me remember more than one word? Well, why? Why is that word there? Why did it stick there? What's fascinating to me is I don't feel different. And six weeks later, I'm talking to Heather. I'm like, I'm reading Titus and I keep getting this one word. She's like, oh, I've actually noticed that you're not as quick emotioned. And I said, really? I said, that's, that's fascinating to me because I can't get away from one word and I want to learn more, but, but I'm not. I'm just not remembering. But repetition was there. And so you're praying about something, you're dealing with something. So I want to encourage you, if you connect consistently to God's word, you're memorizing it, you're reading it, you're praying it, and you're allowing it to change how you respond uh, to different situations. Now, I can attest to this. I didn't respond in the Kenny way to the mower, but I respond in the way that I hope God will change me to respond. I want to reflect him. I'm not supposed to reflect me. I'm not supposed to manifest my personality to this world. I'm supposed to manifest who? Jesus Christ. We live in a world that's consumed with manifesting individuals. I need to be Kenny. No, they don't need Kenny. This world does not need Kenny. The world needs Christ through Kenny as we live as lights for him. So that's the idea. I want you to process through in your own life maybe things that help uh, connect there uh, as we go. Now, I'm going to move through this long one just because I need to get at least through three of them. But what happens when we feel that we're at the end of our rope, though? Um, we're at the breaking point. What do we do? The psalmist is there, and I want you to understand that we're about to move into a section where We've been talking about him under pressure. He's listed proud people afflicting him. He's listed that he's been afflicted. He's seeking God's word. Well, this section of the psalm right here, he is at a, a point of breaking. He's going to say, my soul fainteth for thy salvation. He's saying, I am, I am falling down. I'm, I'm, I'm wasting away. And what he's going to say is, as he walked under persecution and continued to treasure the word, he kept feeling pressure. He kept connecting with God's word and with those that love his word as well. And yet the stress, the anxiety, the weight bears on. And let's think about that for a second, because we just went through how to treasure it, how to connect, and then what happens when life still bears down with grinding weight? What happens when you go through all of this and you wake up the next morning and you still feel depressed? What happens when you're still wrestling with the same anxiety at work? And you feel it building in your soul and your heart, and it's just it's eating away at you. What happens when you wake up and you still have cancer? And still hurts, and you did chemo and you're throwing up and you're losing your hair. What happens when you lose a loved one? What happens when uh, your maybe your child moves away? Maybe they're not doing as you would hope in the Lord. Maybe you're not. What happens when it's still there after all that stuff? And that's when he says, when you deal with that reality, you need to long consistently. So I'm going to read 81 through 88. It says, my soul fainteth for thy salvation. In other words, 
I'm waiting for you to rescue me, and it's, I'm, I'm petering out here. I'm, 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 I feel like I'm on my last leg. I'm done. What does he say next? But I hope in thy word. I want you to feel the sense. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, when wilt thou comfort me? I want you to think about this for a second. He loves God's word. He treasures God's word. He connects consistently to God's word. And here we are in this section. And I want you to feel the weight that's on him. He's saying to God, I am reading your words so much that my eyes are failing, but I'm not feeling any comfort. I know so many people, with, oh, I, I flip to the psalm. I find something for me, a word for the day for me. And I tell people, you open God's word to learn something for you. You've opened God's word the wrong way. God's word reveals God. It's not your little Band-Aid or pick-me-up or booster drink or Red Bull, whatever it is. It's so you learn about him. But he's telling you in 82 as he's reading, and he's not, he's not, he's still feeling the weight, and it's crushing down. For I am become like a bottle in the smoke. You ever get smoke in your eyes? Sting and try to see, and it just, it's, it, you can't. There's nothing else. You're not roasting marshmallows, which I don't know why you would do it. I hate roasting marshmallows. But either way, I know some people like them. Um, but you, you're, you're done. You're not doing anything because it's bothering you. Yet do I not forget thy statutes. So I'm bothered, but I'm still remembering. How many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? Does this sound like questions we ask? When is this over? How long am I going to live? When are you going to judge these people? When are you going to step in? When are you going to take care of this problem? When is, when is the lightning coming? When are they tripping and falling? Right? This is the, the thought. The proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy law. I want you to realize what he's saying. Here is Israel manipulating God's word to trip him up. They're not following God's word, but they're twisting it. They're taking the thing that's good and destroying in his mind. All thy commandments are faithful. Now, don't miss what he's just walked through, what he's just cried out. And he says, all thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. You can cry out to God. They had almost consumed me upon earth. In other words, they are they are eating me alive, but I forsook not thy, what's the next word? Precepts. I'm enamored with the minutia. I really am. This, this word keeps coming up. When he is in the worst of places, is he looking at the big theory of God's word, the overarching law? No. Where is he at? Where is he going to? Into the details of God's word. Uh, one encouragement I'll give you, if you are under pressure, get to the minutia of God's Word. Get to the details. Get to the specific promises that are there. Remind yourself, because you're not going to see it sometimes from 30,000 feet. That's not precepts. That's diving in specifically. Quicken me after thy loving kindness, so shall I keep thy testimony of thy mouth. And by the way, quicken me is make me alive, give me life. And that word in Hebrew is not just help me survive, right? So the statement is not, well, make sure I survive. I might be missing a few limbs. He actually prays to God, quicken me. And he's looking for life that is abundant. He's saying, I want to be enamored with thy loving kindness. I want to be enamored with who God is, that this fades away, that my life I live is for him. And then I'll keep, he's keeping the testimony of thy mouth. I'm going to keep what God has said. A um, couple things and then we'll dismiss is the reality of life is we do reach the point of breaking. Yet in those moments, we must long consistently. If you're highlighting a section and you want someone that needs help with suffering, there it is, 81 through 88. That is the psalmist at the breaking point. It is crushing him. One writer remarks, he's at the end of his ability to endure, his suffering is not deserved, and yet there is no relief. In such extreme moments, what is there to do? Do what you've been doing, staying in the Word and praying honestly and fervently. What do you do? The same thing. What do most people say when they're at the breaking point? You say, hey, just stick with it. What do they say? It's not what? Working. It's not working. One of my scariest moments in my office, 9.30, Saturday evening, I've talked to this guy that's not been in church for 25 years. 
He wants to get over his struggles. He shared with me some of his struggles. Um, he has accidentally shot himself in the shoulder, then shot the hospital doors open. has been chained up. So I know he's handled guns before. I talked to him. This has been three weeks. He pops by, sees my truck. This is why I lock the church doors when it's night, and especially on Saturday nights. I'm studying. I'm writing. When I start studying, I don't hear things. And so I don't hear the glass door open, and I don't hear the other office door open. All I see is a head pop in and say, what you said's not working. And all I see is a dude holding a pistol. He's not, but that's all I'm thinking is, that guy shot himself in the arm and shot hospital doors open, was chained up, locked up for it. What's going on? And I'm like thinking, lock the doors. What happens to people, right? Oftentimes, a quick fix. It's not working. doesn't work. It's not, not helping. This isn't going to help me. And the reality is this, is God's word is clear about what you do. Dive into the precepts. Oh, I'm not seeing anything. Yeah, get into the details then. What is God saying in here? What is the psalmist saying? Yeah, I long consistently, so I mine deeper into his word when the suffering just weighs down on me. It is crucial that we long consistently. When our soul fainteth for thy salvation, we must hope in thy word. Throughout this section, the psalmist is crying out, and it's desperate, right? A cry I think many of us have voiced, a journey we may have walked or are walking. My soul fainteth, mine eyes fail. I have become like a bottle in the smoke. The proud of dig pits for me. They persecute me wrongly. They had almost consumed me. That's desperate, right? Yet the closing cry, filled with longing and believing, is quicken me after thy loving kindness. So shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. Who is he focused on when it comes to life? Not strike them dead, not remove my problems. Quicken me after what? Who God is. And make sure I'm following what you say. Not the circumstance, the Savior. Every time driven back there. Um, meaning it's going to give him a broad and better than just survival existence. So as we look at this, I put a discussion question here. Uh, we can think about it, and then when we come back, we'll dive into trust consistently. But here is the question, so instead of discussion, we'll, we'll look at it, and then you can think at home. Uh, reviewing this from a slightly different angle, instead of how do we long, again, going back to that suffering person, how can we help or biblically help a suffering family member in Christ to long? How do we correctly encourage that behavior? And I want you to tie it to the question on treasure. And what I'm hoping we see is that God's word has the answer there for any circumstance. God's word can help. And you know what's interesting is, what does the psalmist say? Let those that fear you, what? Connect with me. And that's the idea of the body of Christ is capable of coming alongside each other and encouraging each other in the Word and in God's promises and in God's connect to the Savior. We can help our brothers and sisters in Christ have their focus fixed on the Savior. What will distract? Well, all the pain, all the suffering, all the anguish, all the anxiety, all the depression, it's there and it's a journey, but we constantly are connecting. And so I put here as, as a way to help people long, uh, live it ourselves. You want to help a suffering brother and sister in Christ long for God's word? Then ask yourself this question. Do you long for God's word? Because you can go to someone who's suffering and say, well, you really need to long for God's word because you're what? Suffering. And what have you done? Went to circumstance again. Longing for God's word has nothing to do with circumstance. So you want to exemplify longing for God's word and then you're best positioned to help someone else long for God's word. I put this, don't berate or shame people. Instead, appeal and present it. So berating and shaming is, see how I long for God's word? If you would just long for God's word, you wouldn't be suffering as much. Yeah, I walk through this because I... that's berating and shaming. Manifest it. Let it be seen in your life because you long for it, that comes out of who you are. Now, you're not going to be able to connect with people if you're isolated in a corner by yourself. So if you're going to help people long for God's word, you long for it, and you fellowship with God's believers, which is a call in Hebrews. 
connect, those that fear thee, come connect with me. We come together and then make sure you're longing for it. We'll dive in. Um, Next week, we're going to jump right into trust consistently. I'd love to do this discussion question, but the reality is I'll never finish Psalm 119. So we'll be in uh, Psalm 119, 89, which has one of those, you know, memorable verses. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And I remember this because we taught kids and Heather would always do forever, O Lord. And I don't do hand motions. Well, if you ever watch me try to clap and sing, it's somewhat humorous. I can't sing and clap. I can't just clap to rhythm. I have no rhythm. So uh, this would be the, the awkwardest dancing person you've ever seen in your life. Uh, it'd be like one of those chickens you buy at uh, Christmas time. You push the button and just work awkwardly around. My kids think it's hilarious. Um, but either way, I can't do the hand motions, but I always think of this with kids. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth and it abideth. And I love it. He starts with the permanency of God's word. Then he says, by the way, everything we see is you and you sustain it. It's a great principle. And then he dives through that. And we're going to look at how we're going to trust his word uh, consistently diving into 89 through 96. So again, encourage you to be reading through it. If nothing else, read those sections. And then don't forget the call to Find and see and record real-life applications or takeaways. Try to get to three, because May 31st, I'm not coming with any papers in hand. So if you think I can go long now, if I have no notes, I can go on all night. So you had better be talking, otherwise I'll make it going. But I'm excited about the opportunity for us as a body of believers to now engage with what we've been studying and help each other grow as we share our takeaways. But again, make sure it's a takeaway that you have for your life. You're not preaching at someone else. You're sharing how God has preached to you all of Psalm 119, or at least from verse 4 on to the end of 176, I think it is, is a prayer. It's him calling out to God and speaking his word and talking about his word and applying his word to his life. And so it's a petition. It's very personal. And so we'll dive in uh, that way. You are. 